losing my mind. <laughs> Let's do a burn out of this podcast. You ready to do a burn out of this podcast? <laughs> My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be someone who prepared for this, but now I am no longer an employee of Sterable.com. So, you know, a lot of things have fallen by the wayside. The uh, circumstances of my no longer being an employee are irrelevant. I'll leave you to speculate. Thank you very much. These aren't normally this long. <laughs> but this is Burn Noticed. A weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, of which this is the final episode of season one, we rate each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode, or just wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And yes, we are talking to you, one star iTunes reviewer who said that we're a really well produced podcast about two people who hate Burn Notice, which is my favorite tagline of the show. Exactly. (laughs) But we don't, I don't understand these human beings who exist in the world who are like, you either like a thing or criticize it. There is no Venn diagram. That's, I mean, I, here's the thing. Because I I don't understand hero worship, just like as a concept to a person or a thing. I mean, yeah, I think I understand the kind of person who has that kind of mentality. Like, uh, and I think it's definitely the sort of person who doesn't think of art critically. Like, art is both a recreation and, like, a comfort and an identity marker. Um, And so it's both saying you're not allowed to have fun, it seems like, and it's also saying you're bad, for liking this thing, because I think this thing is bad. I understand that mindset. It's not one that I have. I, I mean, I, I so we've talked about this before. I understand the concept of media you enjoy being a part of your identity and it being, like, defensive about yeah. it. But, like, the number of people who are just like, they must hate this show. Because I, also, because like... Because I feel like a lot, the kind of people for whom, like, they get offended at the idea of something that they like being considered bad also overlaps a lot with the kind of people who like burn notice. The other thing that I will say is that it frustrates me specifically because I feel like even at our cruelest, we are not uh, critiquing in bad faith. Never. And like, I would like that to be acknowledged more (laughs) from the people who dislike us. I mean, I appreciate that they said we're well-produced, but I'm just saying I feel really strongly about you and I being shitheads, but who are also, like, in good faith picking this apart and, like, giving it credit where credit is due. Uh, I think that they were way off base calling us (laughs) well-produced. Uh, for one thing. Is that uh, because you're still mad that I cut all of your good bits out? No, I'm just saying that, like, (laughs) this is a cheap microphone. We're, We're doing very little. That's true. Um, yeah, I, the doing, most well. I'm doing yeah. a lot. I've scheduled tweets. I that's edit. Not, I mean, that's I do not, nothing else. Yes. 
Uh, and only one of those is production. Yeah. I'm just saying nuance exists, people. Uh, this is a Burn Notice podcast, and I'm here to tell you that nuance exists. <laughs> this is a Burn Notice podcast, and I'm here to say <laughs> nuance exists in a major way. <laughs> can I say really quickly, though, that I personally don't care. Like, you can hate us as much as you want. I feel no need to get defensive about it. Well, I want, Interact- to, get ri- I want to get rich and famous off of this specific podcast, Chris. And the more people who dislike it, the harder that's going to be for us. I don't know. It's a great... If you can't be famous, you can be notorious. That's true. Um, and I would love to be notorious. I'll be honest. I'm kind of into that, too. The problem is, is that we're not yet so notorious that we're famous in that way. <laughs> I just... Whatever is going to reach us critical mass to, like, fund my lavish lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. One way or the other, I need it to happen soon. Uh, anyway, I just think... Maybe we should lean in to how shitty we are to burn notice. Like, Let's start a hating burn notice. <laughs> I feel like... I mean, people can listen to this podcast however they want, as long as they listen to it. That's, you know what? I will grant you that. Uh, We're still, like, majority upvoted every time I up- put an episode on Reddit. I can't think of another podcast that I've listened to that talks this much about how people react to the vibe. Well, I, I edited a lot of this out the last time, too. So, okay, like, good. some of this is just me talking it out loud. If we happen to say something funny, maybe I'll leave it in. <laughs> All right. Um, um, the but- other thing notable about this uh, episode of Burn Noticed is that it's probably the last one we're going to do, for a while at least, in the same room. This is true. Um, yeah, it's the end of the season, <laughs> and it is the end of my time in the Big Apple. The large on, pumpkin. And on Earth. And on Earth. I will walk off this mortal coil. <laughs> this is my suicide note. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're going to pull a Sam and get yourself, like, killed. Yeah, exactly. You're going to throw up a gang sign and be like, kill me. Yeah. Uh, I legitimately forgot what you were talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I am moving to Los Angeles. Uh, Disgusting. I know. I hated that. That's what. That's how they talk there. <laughs> I am just getting ready. But yeah, so this is your top of show reminder that this is the season finale and we will be taking a short break uh, from episodes for a while before we launch into season two. And also, this is more of like the personal news that Chris will not physically be in the room anymore. That was so important to this podcast up to this point. Well, if you notice uh, that we're much nicer to each other next season and or much, much worse to each other. It's because I can't physically be there to do something horrible to Chris. And exactly. he's got and it's gone to his head. In one way or the other, it's going to his head. I thought you were gonna say that you're not physically there so you can't work out your anger like violently <laughs> and have to put all your violence into words. Yeah, as we know from last week, the way that I get out my anger is making loud orgasm sounds until you stop doing a thing I don't want you to be doing. This is true. <laughs> uh Anyway, um, let's talk about this episode. <laughs> the season finale, Loose Ends Part 2. Or just Loose Ends, depending on where you are. That's true. Because remember, last week could either be Loose Ends or Dead Drop. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to call it Loose Ends Part 2. <laughs> and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, except it aired <laughs> Thanks on so se- much for listening. <laughs> and we're done. It aired on September 20th, 2007. It was written by uh, Big Daddy Nix again and Alfredo Barrios Jr. And it was directed by Steven Surik, who went on to direct a ton of episodes of Marvel Netflix shows, as well as an episode of Hand to God, uh, Ben Watkins' 
a show where Ron Perlman is like God's vigilante. Which we, I think, have discussed prior to this. Yes. If I didn't cut it out. Yes. <laughs> Who can say it this point? Um, yeah, exactly. The writer of last week's episode, Ben Watkins. Um, uh, yeah. Exactly. Wait, is it my episode from last week or your episode from... Actually, it might have been... Ago? So it might have been two weeks ago, actually. Yeah. Um, anyway, but yes. We're at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is with Cowan's bosses now tracking him, Michael must protect his family and rescue Sam all before his own capture if he doesn't move fast enough. This sentence doesn't make sense. IMDb. Yeah, that doesn't like I was reading it and then I, I, I before I read your note, this doesn't make sense. IMDb, I was like, that doesn't make sense. IMDb. <laughs> this that is a run on sentence. Yeah, it, there's no conclusion. It's I this sentence just needs a punch up, but that's not what we do. Yeah. No. We don't we don't talk about IMDB. <laughs> we talk about That is burnout. not what this show is about. I refuse to acknowledge if this is what the show is about. <laughs> exactly. This is a show about the show Burn Notice. If someone wants to do a podcast about the IMDB mm-hmm. of Burn Notice, they can do that. But that's the not... podcast Burn Noticed, since yeah. that definitely doesn't exist and we've never acknowledged its existence before. Exactly. And therefore it cannot exist. Like, yeah, nothing. That we do not talk about does not exist. Mm-hmm. Or it does exist. You and, know there, I mean. and, and there's no uh, fourth wall or audio wall being broken now. No, not at, at all. all. So nobody should get uncomfortable, Tony. <laughs> Let's talk about the plot. This episode <laughs> opens with two recaps. Yeah. We've got our standard recap. Michael Weston used to be a spy, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then a second recap to uh, remind us of everything that happened last week. Because mm-hmm, uh, this is the first to be continued of the series. Exactly. And I'm going to say definitively, the last. I am basing that on nothing. It's almost certainly not the last. But I'm yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I guarantee it is not. But I'm going to say it definitively anyway. And I'm going to die on this hill. Then perish. <laughs> I was just thinking yesterday, or the day before, about how much more like epic and operatic Barack Obama is and our national un- unconscious. <laughs> like, in real life, Barack Obama was always so, like, calm and dry and, like, technocratic. But in, like, in our dreams, like, he's always saying stuff like, then perish, or violence against violence is the rule of beasts. I was hoping you'd quote that one. <laughs> it's an amazing thing that Barack Obama said in someone's dream. <laughs> But not on Tumblr, a... which is now so much less valuable than it once was even a year ago. Exactly. And owned by WordPress. Now owned by WordPress. Um, but yeah, and so a second re- uh, recap, and then we come in on um, Nate and Michael driving to Fee. Because, of course, Fee is being trapped and held down by all these gun guys. Yeah, we, we, we knew last week when she had that haunting uh, abandonment of a payphone shot. Exactly. That the people who had taken Sam already were after her. And yes. she was in, quote, the warehouse district. Yes. So that is now where they are going. To the warehouse district. Um, Michael is like, has Nate driving him to the warehouse district. And want, and he's trying to get Nate to basically not be in the episode anymore. He's like, okay, drop me off and then go. You don't need to be in this episode. And Nate is demanding to be in the episode. He's like, no, I'm not going to leave you. Uh, we're brothers or whatever. And also, <laughs> if something happens to you, I have to take care of mom. Like, he's always very awful the whole time. Mm-hmm. But Ed, but much to our chagrin, Michael allows him to be in the episode. Yeah, and it's so funny. Like, this whole episode, and, and the, for not the first time, Nate's whole thing is like, family first, I gotta take care of mom. You know, you gotta, you're my brother. This matters, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, 
fundamentally never shown any interest in being someone who puts family first anytime other than when Michael doesn't. It's like it's only in reaction to Michael that Nate tries yeah. to be a good person and it's only ever out of like spite or to guilt Michael. And they always write it in a way and this may just be like the character being self-effacing or like the character trying to not be genuine or whatever but he always has to frame it and like ugh I'll be I'll get stuck with the annoying job of talking to mom. I'll get stuck with the annoying thing that even, I don't want to do. Even though it sounds like he definitely didn't do that the whole time Michael was gone like when he was not burned. No, yeah. I I don't know. How often do you think Nate came home? Only when he needed money. That's probably true. You don't think like maybe he did laundry? I don't think he does laundry. I He's think, never done laundry. I think, I think neither of the Weston boys do laundry because as we know from a couple episodes ago, somebody asked, how do you do laundry? This is true. I don't think they do laundry. This is the great laundry conspiracy of uh, Burn Notice. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction right now that at no point in all seven seasons of Burn Notice will we see Michael Weston do laundry. And I think it's because he doesn't know how to do it and is too embarrassed to ask. I think, yeah. I think That's my prediction. And I'm going to check in on it every season. I think perhaps, like, because the family was so dysfunctional, they just never learned. And whenever they ran out of clothes, Michael would have to steal some more clothes. You know, that tracks with everything we know. Either that or they all smell like shit. (laughs) I mean, we're going to learn later that Nate is basically squatting. So, like, he's probably stealing clothes, too. I think they're the only person who's ever, like, washed clothes is Madeline. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I buy it. Also notable, I don't think we've ever seen washing machines at Madeline's house. I, granted, have not been paying attention that closely. I mean, we've never done, like, a walkthrough of Well, but, like, of the rooms in her house that we've seen. Like, it's not in the kitchen. It's not in the living room. It might have been in the garage in the episode with the teenage girl. Uh, That's the only time that I... It might have been. But I have not... I I mean, I wasn't paying attention. Exactly. uh, if anyone knows if there were... If, if anyone there, has done, like, a mock-up of Madeline's house, like, mm-hmm. in Minecraft or, or something. Or if anyone has noticed... Uh, their, if anyone has burn noticed... Yeah. Or if, if anyone has noticed burn noticed... Yeah. Uh, and wants to answer the question, are there a washer and dryer in Madeline's house, as we have seen? I'd love to know the answer. Exactly. But not enough to look it up. Nope. Anyway. That's not our job. That's not what we do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they find um, Fee... In a building that's being staked out by gun guys. Mm-hmm. Michael drives the truck through a warehouse wall. Because he he, he sees her signal, which is like a piece of cloth yeah, he sees window. Yeah, he sees like a her signal. It's a piece of cloth on the wall. Uh, he drives it through a warehouse wall because those are less reinforced than the warehouse door. Um, that's the second time. It's actually a nice bookend to the season. Because if you'll remember, in the sugar plot line yes. of... The pilot, he says... The uh, sugar plot line of 2007. Yeah, that, that uh, he specifically says, like, drug dealers and bad bad guy, crime guys' doors are usually reinforced, but the walls aren't. So yeah. just shoot them through the drywall. So this is like a nice spy yeah. tip bookend. Yeah. If I've learned anything from Burn Notice is that walls are, like, nothing. They're basically useless. That's why the Kool-Aid man just goes through them. Mm-hmm. Or bears, if you live in Colorado. Exactly. Has that happened to you? Uh, no, that, that's that been going around on Twitter today. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Bears breaking through walls? Like the Kool-Aid man, specifically. That's bonkers. <laughs> I love Bears. It. Bonkers. Battlestar Galactica. Uh, we don't like The Office anymore. Oh, we don't? Out. It's basic now. So let's get back to our burn notice podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, in the warehouse, which is, like, a machine shop, 
they uh, Fee cooks up a bomb. Well, no. First, you have to you have to get to this part first. Oh yeah, of course. It's the most important part. So Michael drives through the wall and then tosses a gun to Fee in slow motion. It's extremely good. It is very. And good. I guarantee they had many takes because even the take that they chose, it takes her a little bit to like fully grab onto it and start aiming. Uh, if anything, though, that makes me think that maybe they didn't have that many takes. They were like, they're like, we don't have time. We're just gonna have to. Catch it on the first one, and if we're taking, we're getting that, and we're going. We do not have time. Those are the two options. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, and then uh, after that, Fee cooks up a bomb using machine stuff, mm-hmm. machine liquid. While Nate is covering them, uh, as per instructions from Michael. Yeah. Even though Nate doesn't know what he's doing. Nate should never be put in charge of anything. No. Uh, to be fair, it did seem a little bit like um, a babysitting job. It's just like here. Here, you know, you do this. You mix this real quick. Well, yeah, but mixing a thing is one thing. But he's literally having him cover them with gunfire, which is like an extremely dangerous position for him to be in. He's not really behind any cover. There's a thing that I thought a lot about while watching this episode where there's a lot of lip service paid to the fact that Nate knows how to do things. I feel like lots of... I guess Nate is a crime guy. Because he's a crime guy. And, and it's sort of reminding him like, I can do crime, too. I can do stuff like this, too. And I, it reminds me of a thing that happens a lot in shows like this, where if it's a show about, like, a person with a specialized skill or, like, a couple of people with a specialized skill, eventually it's revealed that everyone obviously knows it. And, like, it's a running joke of, like, yeah, no, I know how to disarm a bomb, too. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I think Nate literally has a line later in the episode where it's like, spies aren't the only ones that have to do a thing. But it'd be like a thing of if there was a show about a dentist and then like he has a friend like, well, I know how to fill in a crown too. <laughs> and, yeah, and so they put the bomb in the truck. Nate's truck. And so Nate's they're just truck. fully destroying Nate's car immediately. Which is good. Nate doesn't deserve things. <laughs> um, and so... They take the truck and they push it slowly. I don't know exactly. I guess they put it on... Uh, like neutral or neutral, something. Neutral and, and then just kind of like push it slowly out out the fucking hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. So and under the like idea that if it's moving slowly, the gun guys will get curious and look at it more intently. Mm-hmm. So everyone gathers around and the slow moving truck that no one is in and then someone's like, ah, it's a bomb and they all run away. Meanwhile... Uh, Fee, Michael, and Nate just escape out a window and are fine. Mm-hmm. And that's our cold open, I believe. Was there a title cut? Yeah. Oh, I, must have, I, must I think it was right it. then. I think we're living through it right now. This Burn is, notice. This is a this is a post credits world. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, not credits, just title card. Post title card world. You're, yeah. you're right. You're right. right, and you should say it. All right, so they arrive at the very nice foreclosed home that Nate has been squatting in. Which looks suspiciously familiar to the one that Nick Lamb uh, yes, was watching did. in uh, a couple episodes ago. Maybe it's the same one. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. They, they, You know they shot on location, right? Like, uh, they shot in Miami. Miami? Um, no, that makes sense. But no, I mean, like, in-universe, it's the same one. The guy, <laughs> the guy who owned that house ended up losing it. Yeah. He shouldn't have sold that gun. Well, I think the gun was from a different house because they were at two different places that Nick Lamb watched That's over the right. course of he that show. Watched so many places. Mm-hmm. There, everyone is spending so much money on Nick Lamb and not and not saving money. And, yeah, it's and true. they're losing their house. And then get who prospers from that? Nate. 
Uh, Almost certainly. Yeah. He is just, like, squatting in this place. Um, Michael fills in fee on how badly the, the Cowan meeting went. And Michael's, Toby Ziegler, if you'll remember. Yes, Toby Ziegler. And Michael seems, like, weirdly, like, angry on Toby Ziegler's behalf. Like, I, I didn't really pick up on that, but... It was this thing where, like, because he explained to Fee, like, they like they killed him or whatever. And then he was like, I hope it was worth it or something. Like, basically, he seems really righteously angry on behalf of, like, Philip Cowan because they killed him. Like, like because it was so bad that they killed him or whatever. Well, as we know from the end of last episode, he was, like, genuinely shaken. So yeah, he was. May, I, maybe maybe which, that's where the righteousness is coming from. Exactly. Like, he's actually traumatized, which I don't know why. Yeah, no. I, again, no character in Burn Notice is consistent, except for the side characters, Fiona and Sam. Yeah. And they're only consistent well, because there's nothing about them except for, like, two personality traits. Nate is consistently shitty. That's true. But he's inconsistent about how shitty he is. Because the whole, like, I'm a family man versus I'm a crime man yeah. seems extremely convenient to plot yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. Um, so Michael tells Nate to bring Madeline to his squatter's den and to not be followed. And then Nate, again, asserts that he knows how to lose a tail because Nate knows things because he crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we cut to Sam getting the shit beat out of him as he's being interrogated by Herrick, the heroin smuggler, our villain of this episode. Herrick the heroin smuggler is like a great children's book title. It is. Oh, or like a, like a newspaper comic. Mm. Herrick the heroin smuggler. I was getting the shit beat out of him. Yeah, if you'll remember, uh, Sam was much closer to the heroin deal he was taking photos of before the heroin deal got rocketed. Yeah. And so that is that is who Sam is with now. Yeah, he got kidnapped. He is the damsel in distress of this week. It's true. Which is a nice thing. It is. And I, I liked seeing Sam under this kind of pressure. It was yeah. like a nice... He's, like, very snarky in this scene. He's very snarky throughout. That's his thing. But, like, he's purposefully being very snarky. There's just a little bit of homophobia. What was the homophobia? Um, where I think, like, he, someone asks, like, who do you work for? Like, someone, there's, like, a call. Like, Who's that? And he's, like, and he goes, like, my boyfriend or something. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if it's homophobia. I, I think it is. I think, like, it's... He's playing on gay panic, but is that homophobia? He's playing on gay panic, but, like, it's maybe not homophobia, but it's definitely, like, it's supposed to make them angry. Like, the, like he's using their gay panic, which it'd be one thing if, like, he was gay, maybe, but, like, he's not. So, like, I don't know, that didn't, that didn't, like, strike me as weird because he wasn't make like, there was no commentary about it. Because, like... What led think, up to that is just him lying, like, I'm from the FBI, I'm from the CIA. Like, he's just, yeah. like, naming things, and they're like, well, who's this person you're calling? He's like, oh, my boyfriend. Like, because, like, he's just getting more and more outrageous. Yeah, but the fact that that's, like, a weird outrageous thing, and, like, it's supposed to piss them off. And, like, but, it's I, out, it's, it, but it's, like, conflated in scene as outrageous as him working for the CIA. It's, and that's the know. only reason that it didn't occur to me. Like, I'm not saying that that's not what it was, because Big Daddy Nix wrote this episode, yeah. and we know how he feels about gay people. Yeah. Which is... I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of, like, it, no, it felt kind of, uh, I didn't like the way that that one was. Uh, the way that it went. Um, also, I think, does he lose a tooth in this scene? Yeah, he does. He spits it out at one point. He spits it out. I'm always so worried when someone loses a tooth in TV. And I feel like it happens a lot. Someone's always spitting out a tooth and I'm like, Jesus Christ. I, I lost half a tooth, so I have half a fake tooth. Exactly. But I always think, like, imagine, like, you're going to, A, until you can see a dentist, 
Like, you're going to be walking around without a tooth for a while. And then, like, once you get it in, you've got to get the tooth in the whole thing. And that's expensive. And I don't know what your dental plan is like. Like, what, I just, It's not that expensive. I don't know. It always just seems... Like, I'm terrified of losing a tooth, basically. And so, like... Because it's, it's something that doesn't grow back? It Exactly. It doesn't grow back. It's, like, permanently gone. you got to put in a fake one. And it's just... Yeah, then you got to deal with this fake tooth the rest of your life. Um, and so, whenever I see, like, someone, like, get punched... Like, it's one of the... It's kind of like getting knocked out. Where, mm-hmm. like, in... In real life, that causes, like... That has consequences. Like, basically, like, it's a thing that, like, is supposed to not have consequences in the show. Right. But in real life, it has consequences. Sure. Um, So now we know, going forward, that Sam acts as a fake tooth. At least one. At least one. I'm sure it's closer to, like, three or four at this point. How many fake teeth do you think the average, like, 40-year-old adult has? Well, 40-year-old adult... Who is a former Navy SEAL? Well, no, I'm not, like, asking about him specifically. I'm now just asking, because I'm 30 and I'm worried. <clears throat> uh, I mean, some people have veneers, which that freaks me out. It's one thing to, like, lose a tooth via an accident or something, mm-hmm. but do you know what they do to put veneers in? They, do they, like, saw them in half? Or they, no, they, they grind like, them to nubs? Uh, that and or they grind them down... Uh, to like little points so oh, it's yeah. easier to fit them over but it still has like the normal length of what your teeth should yeah. be. There's this whole, I think it was a uh, If I Were You podcast where they had Thomas Middleditch on and he was talking about how at a certain point in his acting career he decided to go full veneers mm-hmm. and how in between them like shaving his teeth down and installing the veneers uh, they left the room and the, guy, the technician was like don't look in the mirror. And so he did, and he started just sobbing because he, it just looks so horrible. Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> I've just, never wanted the to. The retelling was so like viscerally awful. <laughs> I have never wanted to simultaneously Google something and never ever Google something <laughs> more in my life than a picture of someone who's about to get veneer. Like, oh my yeah, god. I, like it's making me physically uncomfortable to like think about. <laughs> it really is. It's awful. Let's not think about it anymore. So <laughs> Fee gathers up all the guns that she has scattered across Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, like, because she just has guns everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then Michael gets a call from Herrick, and he pretends to be another smuggler. Like, that's his, like, like spur-of-the-moment alias. He's just like, no, I'm also a smuggler. Um, I was checking out your operation. And... Which isn't untrue. And technically, it's just a carryover of his alias to the guy who got, like, firebombed. That's true. <laughs> um, but he's willing to deal to get Sam back. But first, he demands proof of life. Um, to which, and then Herrick asks, "You got email?" Which is such a lovely 2007 bit. But I feel like it's in 2007. We all had email. Yeah, in 2007, I was 14 to 15 years old and mm. had had an email for like a decade. Yeah, no, I definitely <laughs> had an email in 2007. Oh, I'm trying to think what email I had in 2007. I know what email I had. I had a Yahoo email. I probably I don't I don't think I've read a, a Yahoo. Comayastone24 at yahoo.com. Yeah. No one's gonna be able to spell that, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but I have that on my phone. Yeah. Like, um I I definitely had a hotmail for a long time. Disgusting. Herrick takes a picture of Sam and Sam does like a pose where he's kind of like pointing his fingers at himself or something. And mm-hmm. it's like a very specific, slightly cool guy, weird almost fratty pose. Yeah. And then Michael sees the picture and then he realizes that this is a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they break into Sam's like, like storage storage unit. storage unit 
which is very easy to break into. Like, yeah, didn't they just put like uh, the ice yeah, stuff? Yeah, they put liquid like nitrogen. Yeah, they did, and it was they just used um, like computer duster. They expl- we'll talk about it in the tip section, but like sure. computer duster, and then like broke in like, and I feel Mike's like a Mike. <laughs> Sam's like a special forces. Guy. It seems like it should be harder to break into his storage unit, and or it feels like he should have given them a copy of his key. You know, like, or something like when you're this close to people, when you're bros, you have copies of each other's keys. Exactly, unless or maybe that's too intimate, and he yeah. hasn't stalked Michael throughout an entire episode. This is or true. Vice, Michael hasn't stalked Sam throughout an entire episode. Like I just feel like we're at the stage of our relationship where you give me a key to your storage unit. <laughs> We yeah. are boyfriends, after all. You told Herrick the heroin dealer. I read Christ. it in a book. Uh, yeah, so they break into Sam's storage unit, and they're looking through all this stuff. Because... And he has, like, a scrapbook, which yeah. is delightful. Exactly, yeah. He's like, he has, like, a scrapbook, um, and he find, and Michael finds another picture from another, like, case that he had, like, a hostage situation where Sam had, like, had, had his team go in to get some hostages, but the hostages were just bait, and they killed members of his team. And so Sam, by doing the same pose as he's doing in the picture, is basically saying, like, they're going to kill you if you show up. Let me die. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam is valiantly sacrificing his own life. Exactly. Um, could you do that? Depends on the circumstance. Would you do that for me? Paint me the situation more clearly. So, like, in this scenario... I'm saying it's the exact same situation. So you are, my, I, so you I have a hot to, girlfriend who's obsessed with bombs. Yes, I used to be a spy. <laughs> I said it at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you got me there. And you've been kidnapped in the middle of a job gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And so they, they take a picture of you mm-hmm. as proof of life. They email it to me. I go to a library to, like, check my email. <laughs> Um, and I see you pointing at yourself, and I'm like, oh, she's doing that thing, like that episode of Burn Notice. I think, I, what would our signal be to each other? I don't know. Uh, yeah, because We makes, should probably establish this right now on the podcast. Exactly. In publicly public. for everyone. Um, I, well, I'll, okay. Yeah, I'm going to pick my nose either way. Mm-hmm. If it's right nostril, that means come get me. If it's a left nostril, that means let me die. And it's my left or right. I don't want to get this confused. <laughs> it's very important that it's my left or right. My right or your right? <laughs> well, I, but in the situation I have been taken. Yes. This is hypothetical. So I don't care about your nose. Well, I know, but like... So that's... in my case, it's the left nostril, come and get me. Right nostril, God. <laughs> stay away. That'll keep it straight. And your right or my right? Dealer's choice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. In, I mean, are you you in this scenario? I kind of want to play this out now. Listen, it's the season finale. Who gives a shit? Um, no, I'm I'm me. You're me as I know you right now. I'm you? <laughs> this is a nightmare. <laughs> I'm me. You're me as I, Brie Castellini, know you, Chris Cherry, to be right now. You keep saying you're me. So you are who I know you to be? Yes. Not, like, even if you say, I used to be a spy, you have the capabilities of current Chris Cherry as yes. you are right now? Yes. Um, yeah, I would definitely, like, have to just let them kill me because there's no way that I trust you to come get me. <laughs> I mean, would, I think you would trust me enough to know that I would not come get you myself. 
<laughs> so regardless, it doesn't matter. You're not coming one well, way or no. the other. <laughs> I could wa- I could be like, like, Chris, please come get me. And you'd be like, no, thanks. <laughs> well, no, I would go find someone who used to be a spy and be like, I've got three grand. They took my friend. Can you please go- save her? You have three grand? Because <laughs> I fucking don't. <laughs> That's grand. So I would do a GoFundMe. <laughs> Please get Brie out of captivity. She had a finger in her right nostril, and this is a like, and, and that means she means me to come get her. I do have three grand, but I'm not putting my own money in. <laughs> you don't invest your own money. Okay, so Michael returns to Nate's to find that he has successfully got Madeline there and has done it sufficiently clean. Like most of the scene is just like. Yeah, I know how to lose the tail. Like, 90% of the scene is just, these are all the different steps that I took to lose a tail. Because that's what Matt Nix cares about. And and Madeline's sort of, like, there complaining and neither of them are listening to her. No, not at all. It's not her scene yet, Madeline. Yeah. Uh, Madeline's just upset. And then Michael tells Nate to get some burner phones for emergencies only. That will be important later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, Michael and Fee... Um, Test the guys who are following that following him. These are government guys. These are not ho- heroin guys. They're because also there are government guys following him after the Michael Callan thing. Yeah. So basically, if you'll remember from last week, there are two groups of people hunting this group of the, our our team. Yeah. There are two groups well, of people are hunting well, Burn Notice and his friends. One group of people hunting Burn Notice and his friends is the government yeah. who shot Philip Cowan slash Toby Ziegler and, uh, you know, has the details of why Michael was burned. The other group is the heroin dealers who, who have Sam who have slash Sam. Ash from the Evil Dead. Yes. <laughs> and who uh, think that Michael is a, like, competitor in the heroin game. Exactly. So two groups of people... That's like the rest of the episode is these two groups of people trying to get at Michael and Michael trying to get at both of them. Yeah. Uh, And make sure everyone is safe in the meantime. Yeah. So for now, for this scene, we are dealing with the government. Yes. And so they find a random payphone and Michael calls his old old handler and they go up to the top of a building and like spy on the payphone just to see who shows up. And then like a couple of guys show up. They're like, oh, there they are. And they're just kind of staying there, and they realize that those guys are decoy guys, mm-hmm. and that actually there's some other guys coming for them because they're they're at the top of like um, a parking garage or something, and so they but not to, Hollywood bread, which is disappointing. Not Hollywood bread, um, and so they have to run away from this one car, and like I, I forget where Fee goes, but there's this moment where like Michael's running down an alley from the car that I feel like is like three yards away from him. <laughs> it's like three yards away from him. He runs through the alley. In the voiceover, he's explaining that, like, this car is armored, and so it definitely is expecting to get shot, and they also probably have guns themselves. So he gets to the end of, like, the alley, and then stops while this car is, like, again, like, maybe three or four yards away, and then gets in front of another car that is coming down the street, like, makes that car stop, like, goes around, pulls, like, the keys out of that car, and throws them away. I feel like making himself very shootable in the process. Well, I think that at this point, like, he knows that if the government wanted, or whoever this organization is claiming to be from the government, if they wanted to kill him, they would have done so. Yeah. Like, they shot Philip Cowan in front of him and then did not attempt to shoot him. This is fair, but it does kind of, like, rankle that, like, he's literally just said, these people have guns in that scene. So, like, what's the point of saying that? 
if like he's not gonna be worried about the dangers being shot like at all it's an odd beat i mean it is but i write that up to matt nicks being bad at writing and well, not michael weston being an inconsistent character well yeah but i can still point out a, fa- a moment in which matt, matt nicks is bad at writing. well i have to be defensive when you're being antagonistic you don't have to do anything we're our own bosses. <laughs> and this is a great episode of a podcast. And no I'm one like... is the boss of us. <laughs> uh. We're our own masters. Have I been daddy yet? God damn it. <laughs> oh. Uh, anyway, my other favorite thing about this scene is that he takes the keys out of the car, throws them away, and the woman like shells, shouts at him, I want my keys back. Like, give me my keys back. Like, you just watched him throw them away. You know where they are. He is not going to give you the keys back. He is gone. Yeah, like, the idea that some crazy person has stopped your car in the middle of the road, reached into your car, taken the keys out and thrown them away, at what point in that scenario did you think, this is a reasonable person who, if I point out how rude that was, will rectify the situation? Yeah, it's like, does she think he still has the keys? He doesn't have the keys anymore. They're gone. And so is he. And anyway, so Herrick calls and wants to meet with Michael and Fee before he's willing to give Sam back. He, and then he tells Sam that they're coming for him. And, that, and Sam tries to convince him to kill him so that they don't, uh, Fee and Michael don't come. Yeah, Sam's basically like, they're not actually going to come to get me. Do you think I'm that important? Yeah. Just kill me now. Exactly. And Herrick realizes that Sam wants Herrick to kill him. So that they won't come and get shot themselves. So he's trying... He knows, he knows that Sam is sacrificing himself. Exactly. And so he's not going to let that happen. And he realizes that in this scene. Mm-hmm. He's going to hold on to that. Uh, <laughs> Another thing that will be important later. Exactly. So then Michael meets with Barry once again. One mm-hmm. last time for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, to get info on Miami heroin dealers. I realized in this episode that... Barry's whole look is that he always looks like he's someone in Smash Mouth. Mm-hmm. And or Guy Fieri's brother. I mean, one and the same. <laughs> it's never been conclusively proven that Guy Fieri isn't in Smash Mouth. I will say, I was in the airport coming back from L.A. And you saw and, Smash Mouth? Uh, no, but I did. You, you heard Guy Fieri? Close. He has like you a... You tasted Guy Fieri. Unfortunately. So he has a like pop-up like food cart he's got a pop-up he has a pop- i'm sure he does but he has a, he has like a pop-up like uh airport yeah. dispensary uh-huh. of shit sw- of sw- weed of swill uh and so i got like a sandwich and a thing of fruit and like a water a thc laced sandwich exactly well and i fucking wish because first of all it was like 34 dollars. that's too much which money. is too much and second the sandwich fucking sucked guy fieri so Burbank, no, don't eat from the Guy Fieri cart at Burbank Airport. I know it's the first thing that you see when you walk in past security, but if you hold out, there's better food later on. Here's my thing about Guy Fieri, though, is that, like, his whole shtick is that he loves cheap food. Like, he goes to diners, drive-ins, and dives. You're not, pay- that's, you're not paying a lot for that food Mm -hmm. the idea that you're going to charge that amount of money for food that's whole draw is that it tastes like cheap food then Mm -hmm. what is that what are you doing yeah no so uh in conclusion i'm mad at guy fieri all right and that's kind of what barry looks like yeah Uh, (laughs) and now we've come full circle yeah so what does barry do in this scene yeah um 
Barry wants nothing to do with heroin. Heroin. He says he's allergic to heroin. <laughs> um, and but Michael is basically like, "This is crunch time. You have to help me." And, and Barry is just a a guy who knows stuff. Technically, Barry is their money launderer, but in practice, Barry is just he's a hacker. He's like the like connection to all the crime yeah, guys. Barry knows about every crime guy in Miami. That's the thing because he's a money launderer and can also hack. Yeah, everyone who does a crime needs to launder money. Is the idea so and or get uh, foil embossing exactly, and Barry does both. He's the only guy in Miami <laughs> who does money laundering and foil embossing, and and so Michael kind of like leans on him, and says, "I need to know about heroin dealers. I specifically want the second biggest heroin dealer in Miami." <laughs> Do you have your spreadsheet where you rank heroin dealers? Uh, no, Barry has that info right in his brain. Right off the old dome, he's like, yeah, I know the second biggest heroin smuggler in Miami. His name is Carmelo, and here is the club slash bar that he goes to. (laughs) This one's going to be like, yeah, okay, we found this guy. This is where he goes to therapy. (laughs) This is where he gets his, like, oil changed. Exactly. This is his preferred target. Yeah. Surprisingly, not the one you'd expect. It's not the one closer to his house, but the one with better wait times. <laughs> Just a couple miles further in. Exactly. He's thought a lot about it. I would love to see Michael Weston confront somebody in their preferred target. Yes. <laughs> preferred target would be a great episode of Burnt Notice. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Um, so, but then in the middle of this scene, Barry gets a phone call and it's for Michael. Because mm-hmm. there's a mysterious woman. Mm-hmm. Um, from the government or from something who wants, who just gives him Michael a cryptic message and like wants him to come in, mm-hmm. and Michael's like, "Nah, I'm good," and then he hangs up and then gives the phone back to Barry and he's like, "I don't want it," so they just throw it in the water. <laughs> the voice may or may not be a Cylon. That is her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, we'll I'll talk about that later. Uh, moving on, back at Nate's. I keep saying Nate's. He doesn't own it. He's yeah. not paying money for it. <laughs> Back at Nick Clam's old boss's house. <laughs> exactly. Um, everyone's making explosives. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for Madeline. Mm-hmm. Madeline walks in and is like, do you need help? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> You're smoking a cigarette. Get away. <laughs> but they're making like like plastic explosives or like that kind of like clay like explosives. C4. C4, yeah. They're making C4. That's what they're making. And Madeline comes in. Michael tells her that she's going to have to leave town for a few days because mm-hmm. this is not going to be done soon. Mm-hmm. And she starts getting upset. And then everyone just kind of checks out and leaves. It's like, oh, no, this is going to be a thing. I don't want to be around for this. Yeah. Um, which I wish I knew how to do. You, you wish you, like, could read a room like that? I, I guess my thing is that whenever there's a situation like that where I'm in a room and two other people are starting to maybe not, like, get and, like, heated or something... Give me an example. Um, every time we record a podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, the entirety of the two years that me, you, and Andrew live together. <laughs> or that. Um, Hi, Andrew. I, am, I know you listen to this podcast. I am like a deer in a headlights in that situation. I'm always afraid if I leave, it's going to draw attention to myself. Someone's like, I need to stay perfectly still. And then the, the fighting people, like T-Rexes, <laughs> won't... 
<laughs> won't know that I am there. Um, and maybe they'll be done in a second. And then I'll, if I have left, they'll be like, where did you go? Why did you leave? I don't want follow-up questions. Exactly. And uh, so I feel like I always just stay perfectly still. And so that these people know well enough to leave. I am envious of that. I prefer to stay, but for the opposite reason, which is I really want to know what happens. You want to go. And usually what happens is that I have headphones in, but I turn the sound off. So it looks like I'm not paying attention and that I'm not a part of it. But actually, I'm gathering vital data. Okay, but if you were in the middle of the conversation, if you were part of the conversation, do you put headphones in? Well, yeah, if if like a fight breaks out around me or like they move on and like I can tell, oh, I'm not part of this anymore, I will put headphones in, but then not listen to anything <laughs> because I'm nosy as fuck. Oh, God. Because what if... Because I have to assume that like after this scene ends, everyone just gets back into making C4. So mm-hmm. like they all have to come back like, is it... Are you guys... Are you done, are you done now? Can we... Can we make more C4? Uh, but yeah, so they have a little argument, and then uh, Madeline's like, no, I need to be here to help you. And like, I'm not scared, then Michael's like, but I am scared. Why is, okay, Madeline is another character who's like, conveniently scared sometimes, but not other times. They don't know what's, because again, it's part of this thing where everyone has to be almost a spy. Like, and it's a thing where Madeline has to know about guns because, like, everyone in the show knows about guns and it's, like, common knowledge or whatever. But because she's definitely not a spy at all, it they make it very unclear about what things are obvious to her and what things aren't obvious well, to her. Well, I'm thinking back to the to episode three with the shitty teenage girl character where you, your theory was that the reason that she was so shitty is because she didn't physically see any bad men. Yeah. And is that Madeline's thing? Like, because the only time she's ever been actually freaked out is when uh, Jason Bly is at her house, like smashing stuff. Every other time, where Michael's like, "Someone's gonna come to the house and destroy it. Someone's after me to kill me." She's like, "It's probably fine." <laughs> but only that one time when a man is literally in her house is she actually afraid. So are we just saying that that's how this universe works? That only if they are literally standing in front of a man with a gun and only sometimes then are people like properly afraid for their lives? I get. I don't know. It's so... People are like worldly and naive randomly. And yeah. it makes no sense. Anyway. As we learned at the beginning of this podcast, nuance exists, Matt Nix. Yes, but not for him. Anyway, so Michael shows up at Carmelo's Club of Choice... And then him and Fee, Michael and Fee, just plant the C4 all over. Very subtly. Are just, like, planting C4. No one notices. And once they do that, Fee leaves. And then Michael walks into the area. Mm -hmm. The VIP, like, loungy kind of... It almost makes it feel like a tent. Like, watching it... I know they're not in a tent, but it feels like a tent. It has tent energy. (laughs) This room has 10 energy. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so Michael walks in with a dead man switch, explains, like, hey, look, here's the thing a C4 with a detonator. Like, you can have your men check. They are everywhere. I have been busy. <laughs> I'm like a dog with diarrhea, just leaving little bits everywhere. Horrible. Yeah. And if you shoot me and my finger goes off this dead man switch, we all go up. So we're going to talk now. And all he really says is I need info on this other guy. like On the number one heroin dealer in town. One. 
on the number one You and I both know you're number two. Exactly. (laughs) But if you want to be number one, give me this info. I will take this guy down. It's good for both of us. So just give me this info. What's really confusing to me about this is, like, and he kind of explains in the voiceover about how if you're going into a situation that you can't win, you need to make it so that it's everyone is worse off if you lose. Like, that's his sort of idea or whatever. But that's not what happens, like, at all. Yeah, and Michael gets everything he needs and then leaves. Like, no, but, like, also, there's literally no reason why he couldn't have gotten the information that he has from Carmelo from Barry. Like, there's... it's never clear why he needs help from Carmelo. You're extremely right. Yeah. If Barry knows Carmelo's... Maybe maybe the problem is is that the other guy doesn't have a preferred club. And so Barry's like, if he doesn't have a preferred club, I got nothing. But no, like, Michael makes a point of being like, I want to know the second guy and not the first guy. Like, maybe Barry had info on the first... Like, no, that's a super good point. No, Why but, would Barry not know the first best heroin dealer exactly. in Miami and, like, the dock he has his boat at? And it's not... But the thing is that, like, he might have known, but Michael specifically doesn't ask for it. Like, he goes to this other guy, and it would have been one thing if the other guy had given him backup. If the other guy... Sure. I thought that's what this was going. But, like, you help me with this, you help give me backup. Because the whole point that he's trying to make is that, like, this guy, um, fucking Herrick, is too protected, has too many guys. If we go in, we will lose. But then they go in later by themselves, and spoiler alert, they win. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... So No, this you're, whole, you're completely right. I did not even think of this. That's such a fucking good point. This whole detour is pointless. Well, it's point... It's It, it has a point in that Carmelo comes back, apparently, in, like, three seasons. <laughs> but yeah, like, there's, like, no... If, if there had been anything that he actually got other than information... That Barry definitely could have had almost certainly yeah and so like all yeah all that Carmelo gives him is like where like Herrick's fucking barge is <laughs> like and definitely Barry could have gotten that I don't know what the point of this was yeah there was no point there was no point uh at all anyway but we got the info one way or the other exactly so he uses Carmelo's info to track down Herrick's barge he also finally gets Herrick's name Carmelo also gets, gives him Herrick's name and then Michael and Fee stake it out and then call Herrick to set up a meet and then Sam, once again, tries to get Herrick to kill him so that Michael doesn't show up. Because uh, Michael has uh, specified, I think, every time that uh, he will confirm one last time that there is proof of life. Yeah. before he, He's like, if, if I do not get proof of life immediately before our meeting, I will not come to the meeting. And yeah. Sam knows this. And so exactly. that's why Sam keeps being like, kill me, kill exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. But and then... And then he also, like, kind of starts talking to Herrick's number two guy, being like, after he kills me, he's going to kill you too, you know? Just, like, sowing discontent, so, trying, trying to get at any tactic to get exactly. himself killed. And then Herrick gets really pissed at Sam and almost kills him. And he's like, oh, I get it. You're doing this so that I kill you so he won't come. And, like, he already- yeah, dude, you already realized that several scenes ago. Yeah, yeah. The last time we checked in on you, you also had this realization. Exactly. Are you a goldfish? I think he is. That's why he has a barge. <laughs> and, oh my god. And that's why he doesn't have a preferred club and therefore Barry doesn't know where he is. Exactly. Because <laughs> he's a goldfish. Uh, oh. Oh, the episode of Magicians I just watched, someone actually got turned into a goldfish. God, fuck the magicians. It's it actually got good. I I'm don't telling you. I believe you. Um, but yeah. 
And so, again, I don't know what the point of that was, other than to show that this guy might be an idiot. Yeah. And also, him sowing discontent between the two guys comes to nothing either. Yeah, no, nothing happens with it. It's like, Matt Nix, I feel like, I mean, he's definitely the weakest writer on the show. Yes. And it's so interesting watching his episodes because it's like, there's a lot of really strong ideas. I bet Matt Nix would be good in the room. Yeah. Like just saying banana shit mm-hmm. and being like, okay, I can do something with that. But I feel like on a plotting level, he just like, he thinks on it, about it in such like a scene and moment to moment level yeah. that nothing makes sense. Like no. it is not strung together by any kind of logic from line to line to scene to scene. No. Like again, this episode seems like it's setting up so much stuff for its finale mm-hmm. that isn't anything. Yeah, no, it's very strange. Like there's there's a lot of really good ideas that just he just cannot figure out how to like keep this logic exactly. the whole time. Like everything he writes, every line seems like it exists in a different universe with different rules. Definitely. Um, but yeah, Matt Nix, come on our podcast. Yeah, no, come on, we'll talk about but it. But only after Jeffrey Donovan. Yes. You will be you will be our sloppy seconds. <laughs> um, as, yeah. as you so clearly deserve. Exactly. Anyway, so Michael and Nate have a scene where Nate agrees to get out of town with Madeline. Again, this is another scene I feel like we've had three times. Yeah, there, there's a lot of repetition because they're like, well, shit. Like, th- these are actually two pretty simple things. That's probably also why they added Carmelo in, because they're just like... They could they could get Sam really easily, but we need we need more pages in this episode. That's true. There's like no plot to this at all. Yeah, it's just like there's two bad guy groups. Michael needs to rescue Sam and have a nice call with the other. Exactly. How do we keep this exciting for forty five minutes? Nate and Madeline and Michael all have to have the same conversation three times. Yeah. Um, Sam has to do the same scene like four times. Uh, no, like, heightening or anything. Just Yeah, the music gets more heightened, but, but yeah, if you really think about it, nothing has changed. Nothing. Circumstances remain the same the entire episode. Exactly. Um, like, nothing goes wrong where, like, because usually in a Burn Notice episode, like, at some point they either learn something new or something goes wrong, yeah. and they have to, like, change tactics. This episode... Not really. I mean, something does go wrong. Something's about to go wrong. About to go wrong. But only barely, and it seemingly doesn't affect any of the plan whatsoever. I mean, not the plan necessarily, but it does sort of affect... But, like, having to change the plan is part of what raises stakes. No, yeah. I mean, well, well, I'll talk about stakes a little bit later, like, when we get to the end of the climax. I'm sorry. Continue Uh, your recap at your speed. No, no, no. But, I mean, um... Actually, yeah, I'll just continue, because we're about to get... (laughs) into part of us. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the, the family has a scene that they already had, which is Madeline doesn't want to go. Yeah. And Nate's like, family first. And Michael's like, let's get out of town. Yeah. And in the scene, Nate also mentions that, uh, a, he had a guy look over Sam's car to make sure that it's clean. And the guy also fixed the windshield of the charger. Final charger update. The charger is now, at the end of the season, a, 100% fine. A fully functional car. Uh... Yes. Um, so that's one less update on the Charger. And so uh, Michael explains that um, he's going to drive them to Fort Lauderdale so and then they can get uh, steal a car and then go from there so that they, they don't get followed or whatever. It's not 100% clear why Michael is taking them since Nate has already established multiple times that I can lose a tail. Um, maybe, so like, why does well, Michael have to drive them? Well, does he drive them in the Charger? Mm-hmm. I think he just wants to hang on to the Charger. Michael wants that Charger. Michael and Fee make another bomb again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, but this is a bomb that they make, like, that they put in, like, a mop head. 
Uh-huh. Um, and then they put, like, sticky stuff on it. Um, like, tile grout or whatever. And then they cover that in, like, plastic wrap. And, like, they talk a little bit at the beginning, but, like, halfway through, they both just stop talking. <laughs> and just start wordlessly, wordlessly putting this bomb together. And at one point, she, like, bites the plastic off with her teeth. And it's very sexually charged. Is that... Was that sex, Brie? What's sex? I mean, it's that. It's ripping plastic wrap off with your teeth. Oh, okay. It's anything that's done with your teeth that is not strictly, like, consuming it for sustenance is sex. Teeth, though, not lips. Okay. Mouth and lips are irrelevant. It's all about the teeth. It's all teeth. Understood. Uh, Yeah, it's a very weird energy to that scene. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they make a bomb that's sticky. They make a sticky bomb. Mm-hmm. That's what it's this, called. This will become relevant later. Yes. Uh, so yeah, and then Michael and Madeline have a heartfelt scene where they reminisce over the first car that Michael stole as a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and so they finally start driving to Fort Lauderdale. But they're being followed because Madeline called home to check messages with her burner phone like an idiot. Because again, Madeline conveniently does and doesn't know smart decision making like on a scene to scene basis um and i have never felt more empathetic with michael weston than that moment when he is so annoyed like obviously you don't do that i'm like oh but he my. just like so but he's so like he he does I, this is a really good jeffrey donovan moment where he's just like he's just you can tell just in his whole body he's so angry and irritated and over this but he's like well now that's not a good, that's not, that's no longer a burner phone. So we're going to not use this phone anymore. Let's make it very clear. All right. Like, he's just like, he's yeah. so like gritted teeth, like just resigned to how shitty his family is. Oh man. I feel that every day talking to you. Yeah. It's important to note, Fee is not in the car at this Fee point. is not in the car. It's just, it's just the family Weston. Yes. The family Weston. And so they're being followed now. And so... Michael decides what he's going to do is just get out of the car and have them drive away because all they want is Michael. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to bail out. You keep driving. Yeah. I'll keep him distracted. Exactly. And then he, like, grabs the phone and just starts talking into it. A whole bunch of gun guys come out and pull guns on him. Like, pull guns on him. He pulls a gun on them. Then he pulls out his phone and starts talking to whoever is clearly bugging the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, then he takes the gun and he puts the gun on himself and says that he's going to shoot himself um, if they don't leave him alone for, like, 12 hours, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the 12 hours, he will come in willingly. Exactly. At the end of the 12 hours, once he is done with his job, he will do whatever they want. Just give him 12 hours. If not, he's going to shoot himself right then and there. And then we hear the mysterious woman again. And she says, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And so he just runs away. <laughs> Yeah. No car now. And again, this this is another one where it's like, it feels counter to the scene earlier where he's like, they have guns and they're definitely going to shoot me. Yeah. Even though now he's turned a gun on himself because he's like, I know they're not going to shoot me. Yeah. Again, it's... internal consistency is irrelevant to Matt Nix. I will say, I do love a scene in which someone puts a gun to their own head. Like, like as a, as a bluff, for some reason, that's always very good to me. I enjoy that. Um... I think it, like, apl- like appeals to the pacifist in me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> suicide appeals to the pacifist in you? Well, like, the idea threat, of, like... The threat of suicide? The, like, the idea of, like, a threat that isn't actually a threat of harm to anyone else. 
Um, I feel like there's something that we need to dive into later, but we'll get to that, I'm it's sure. It's fine. Uh, yeah, so um, he's got 12 hours now. Michael gets ready to take Sam's car now to rescue Sam. Because the charger has been discharged. Is, yes. It is in Fort Lauderdale. And so they get in Sam's car to rescue Sam while Herrick is at the meet. Or like, or while Herrick sends a guy to the meet, basically. Because Herrick is like, sends an assassin to go meet with Michael and Fee where they've said that they have gone. Right. But but luckily, spies, But luckily because they talked to Carmelo, they know where the barge is. Exactly. So they're going to go straight to the barge instead of the meeting place. And they... Because they are spies, lied. <laughs> you know, like a liar. Exactly. Um, and so the assassin and presumably maybe some other goons go to go kill Michael and Fee where they are not. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, where they are is here at the barge. Well, not are yet. You, are you sensing all the not, subterfuge? But they haven't left yet, right? Before this thing happens. Oh yeah, they're about to do that. Yeah. Um, before that scene, though. Uh, before they get to the barge. Before they get to the barge. Before they barge in. Before they barge in. They have a romantic scene where they basically say goodbye to each other. Because even if they make it out of this, like, Michael's going to turn himself in. And Fee doesn't want him to turn himself in. It's like, why? Why why do you care? That, again, which is her common refrain throughout mm-hmm. the season of, like, these people don't owe you any. You don't owe them anything. Mm-hmm. They fired you. But he's just like, I got to know. Mm-hmm. Which I get. Like, if, especially at the point to which they're like actively not wanting me dead, I'm like, well, now I'm curious. (laughs) And I'd rather do it on my terms, like, find out what the fuck's happening versus you continually fucking with me, like, while I try to do other shit. Like, I'd rather just have this over with. This is true. Um, And Fiona says, like, well, at least this time we got to, I got to say goodbye. Yeah. In reference to the last time that they parted ways, Michael left in the dead of night. Exactly. And did not get to say goodbye. And they, and, like, she kisses them all chastely, and then they have an actual kiss. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like anytime they're in a romantic scene, they're always really hazily lit. Like, <laughs> way more than normal. It's like fucking Casablanca. But, like, in the daytime, in, like, just this fucking, like, it's overlit. It looks, it doesn't really look good. I did not notice any difference, but I trust you. Yes. I, I trust that you paid attention to that. I feel like I've seen that lighting on them Every time. I feel like Fiona is always lit that way when it's supposed to be romantic. It's like a late motif. Yes. They go to the barge. Michael Lake gets in a gets in a wetsuit. From where? From the one wetsuit place in Miami. <laughs> it's next door to the I mean, coil embossing. Yeah. Actually, I mean, like, it's fucking Miami. I'm sure there's lots of places to get wetsuits. But, like, a wetsuit, and, like, to the extent that he has one, it has, like, a, a thing where he can be full. Like, it's not like a scuba suit. Like, he's fully underwater yeah. and has, like, a breathing apparatus. Like, that's a lot of accoutrement for this wetsuit for Michael Weston, who has no money and no time. I feel like he had it. I don't know. I feel like... Underwater, like, wetsuit-like stuff is very intrinsic to spies to me. And I feel like part of that is uh, the, the James Bond movie Thunderball. I have not seen it. Uh, well, there's a big, like, under like underwater wetsuit sequence. And I feel like since then, in every sort of, like, spy adventure type thing, there's at least... It's just m- assumed that they have a wetsuit? Exactly. It's assumed that they have a wetsuit... And like, but it, like, there's always some underwater. Like, someone's got a harpoon gun or something. Maybe Michael had this from like his last beach date with Fiona. Yes, <laughs> but I just like, of course, spies have wetsuits because every spy is gonna have to do an underwater thing at some point because that's just spy life. I'll allow it. Yeah, but you're hanging by a thread. <laughs> anyway, so um, he like he gets onto the boat. He like takes the sticky mop. 
That's what they call it. It's gross. Well, the sticky, the sticky bomb. Yeah, the sticky bomb. And like, attaches it to the bottom of like the gas sticky bomb. Like, am I daddy yet? Is it is it the gangplank? Is it always the gangplank? Is that I, what no? It... I think gangplank is something different. Basically, before Michael gets up onto the boat, he attaches the sticky boat below the boat. The sticky boat. The sticky bomb. Below but it's the like boat. specifically on the like ramp thing that you walk onto the boat. Oh, is that where it is? Yes. I don't know. And I think that's the gangplank. Is that gangplank? maybe? It, maybe it is. I think so. Like whatever attaches the boat to the dock that you walk on, not that... just like the like. The, the rope. rope or whatever. Yeah, a walkable... I'm sure it's the gangplank. That makes sense. But the, I, I, I want to associate that with pirates mainly. And I'm wondering I'm if I'm sure it's... pirates had gangplanks too. No, I'm saying... They weren't always I'm on saying the pirates all only had gangplanks. Oh, I see what you're saying. And respectable barges have something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so he sticks the sticky bomb there mm-hmm. and then uh, climbs onto the boat. And while Fee, like, sets up with a sniper rifle somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just there, and she's watching. And then, so we cut to Sam, and Herrick's there, and Herrick returns to get one last proof-of-life photo. Yeah, he's like, all right, it's it's time to, to tell your, to, to set up the meeting with your friend. So I'm going to exactly. call him. Exactly. I'm going to call him, like, one last time so that you can talk to him. Mm-hmm. And so he calls Michael's phone, and he, surprise, surprise, he can hear it ringing in the room. Well, no, just outside of the room. Well, just outside of the room. Like, he walks out the room, and there's Michael's phone on the ground. He looks down, and then Michael falls from the ceiling like Batman. <laughs> it's a... I mean, listen. It's... Is it extra? Yes. Is it played out? For sure. Is it amazing? Of course! Honestly, I feel like it's not extra enough. Like, I kind of... I found this whole, like, climax to be very disappointing. I, you know, it would have, in retrospect, it would have been more extra for the guy to have opened, like, the door between the room and, like, the rest of the barge, uh-huh. and for Michael to be holding the phone up to his ear at the door, like, hello, and then the guy, like, tries to punch him, and then they have a fight. Like, I that would have been really fun. That would have been fun. I wanted more steps between Michael and Herrick. Mm-hmm. Like... Well, again, this is where the, like, wasteful Barry Carmelo shit kind of got in our way. Yeah. Because it, like, it this whole episode feels like Matt Nix is just like, shit, I have to fill time until we get to the finale bit. Yeah. But, like, there was so much opportunity in the meat of this episode for more interesting shit to go down. Yeah. Like, it, it feels really weird in this whole barge sequence. Like, I feel like they start fighting goons after Herrick is dead. Yeah, they, like get to the, they get to the boss before the goons. Exactly. And that's like the opposite of how you want to do it. It's not like an escalation at all. It's just... Uh, it's uh, defying expectations. Um, but yeah, and so like, yeah, there's no like gauntlet of things that Michael has to go through to get to Herrick. He gets there right away. The gauntlet was he ran into the government one time and then they let him go immediately. Yeah. But that's the thing is that like... Apparently, this, like, fucking barge is not well-guarded at all. Well, because they left, they, everyone else left to go to the meeting place. Yeah. Where Michael definitely will be, because there's no way that he's going to find out about the barge. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, and so, uh, Michael, ju- like, jumps on him. They get into a, a fight. I will say, I kind of like this fight because of how, like, unelegant it is. And I was going to say that 
I was watching it and it was the most unconvincing fight to me. Not because it was inelegant. Like, I agree that inelegant fighting needs to be more commonplace yeah. because I think it's more interesting to watch two dudes just be, like, not being able to get the better of each other. Right. However, like, you could tell a lot where things weren't connecting and you could tell that they were using editing true. to cover up the fact that it didn't seem like they'd choreographed this fight very well. No, yeah. You could definitely see sometimes where they weren't connecting. I'll give you that. But, I, like, they kind of minimize that, though, because there wasn't a lot of punches or kicks at all. There's, like, two or three punches, and the rest of it's just awkward grappling, which mm-hmm. is, if two people fight, that is usually what it is. Yeah. It, it is sort of yeah, If you've like, ever seen two teenagers fight, yeah. it's mostly grappling. I have only seen... I've never seen adults fight. <laughs> I haven't either. I've only... Yeah, only as a teenager yeah. or at teenagers have I seen fights break out. I feel like if anyone ever wanted to fight me, I would just be confused we like, why? <laughs> why, t- why would so? Like, I'm now I'm trying to conjure up. Why would someone try to fight you, Chris Cherry? Well, I'm trying to break into the place where they're holding you hostage. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it's a very... I still don't think they'd fight you. They would just like pick you up by the scruff of your neck. Like, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here, kid. <laughs> I am 30. Uh, Are you Tiny Tim? <laughs> Um, and also throughout this fight, every once in a while, Sam is just, like, yelling things at them. Like, not even funny things. Just kind of, like, kick his ass. Or, like, oh, or whatever. Like, they all feel like actual ad-libs because no one wrote anything. Yeah, they're just like, hey, Bruce, you wanna wanna get in on this? Yeah. Just, like, shout some things. (laughs) What do I shout? Doesn't matter. Be funny. Oh, uh, kick his ass. Just fucking ad-lib. Yeah. Skirt, skirt. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so... Eventually, Michael gets the gun and shoots fucking Herrick dead. Another thing about this scene is I feel like Herrick, as, like, the ultimate bad guy, like, the final boss, basically, of this season is so anticlimactic. Like, not only is this whole scene anticlimactic, but the fact that this is the climax of the season and it, it feels extra anticlimactic because this guy is like nothing. Yeah, it, it is interesting that they that their like final like case of the week for the season is so like unthematically related. Yeah, and I was wondering, is it, the idea supposed to be that he's supposed to be like a mirror of Michael? I don't think so because they don't play into that at all. Well, I know, but like they're also incompetent. So like, but was that like- sure? But even like the first, because like we knew that he was a army guy from the last episode. Yeah. Because in the last episode, Kent was also an army guy, yeah. and, and Michael he- pretended to be a different kind of army. And guy. he does mention in this episode that he's an army guy. Yeah, but it's like it's an established fact that didn't matter last time, and it feels like it has the same amount yeah. of weight. And, and that they weren't trying to do anything extra. It's just like, hey, remember from last week? This this is a military operation wow. where military's gone bad. But yeah, and it almost kind of felt like... But I felt like watching this fight, we were supposed to think, of like, oh, for the first time, he's evenly matched in a fight. I agree with that, but I don't think they thought about it long enough to be like, is this the most exciting version oh, no, of they the didn't. Burn Notice finale? Oh, no, they didn't. But I was wondering, I'm honestly trying to figure out if that's something they were actually going for, or if that's something I'm, like, adding, striving, trying to find anything. I think it's the latter. Because, yeah, it it really doesn't feel like they got... They just, like, wanted there to be two, like, pressing matters for Michael to deal with at the same time. Yeah. But, like, they didn't think about it past that, which is, again, too bad. Exactly. Especially because, like, the government doesn't get a face, really, in this episode. Mm -mm. So, like... There's not a final boss. Yeah. 
Like, the final boss, spoiler alert, is a fucking semi-truck. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but, um, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But, like, so, yeah, this whole climax, A, it feels anticlimactic. Like, they, he, he kills fucking Herrick, but that doesn't matter, because Herrick's a shitty villain anyway. And then they, like, kill some goons. Like, Fee snipes some goons. They run past the gangplank, and then they blow up the fucking sticky bomb, and they get a nice explosion out of it. But other than that, like, it's so anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like... This is the third? Fourth? Third or fourth kidnapping rescue of the season. Yeah. Where it could have been so much cooler. Like, rescuing a kidnapping victim, there's so much there. It's And every single time they choose the most boring conclusion because they've wasted so much time having, like, redundant scenes with minor characters up to the, like, climax. Yeah. It's just, it's so... Yeah, redundant and, like, bland or whatever. And here's the thing. I enjoyed watching this episode. It's worth mentioning at this point in our, like, not very nice critique of it that, like, I enjoyed the episode. Like, you know, even though it was redundant, like, you know, it's much more competently put together. It felt well-paced, even if on a scene level, like, the pacing was it. It's like a song with, like, a good beat, but terrible lyrics. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, like a song, like a decent, and like other things are wrong with it. But like, yeah. Um, I mean, it was alright. I mean, we're still a little bit left before we get into final thoughts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just saying, like, we're shitting on it a lot, and like, and and I want to be clear, like, this is still markedly better than like the first three oh, episodes yes. of Burn Notice. Like, exactly. They have made dramatic strides. One hundred percent quality. However, it definitely was sort of a disappointing season finale. On, like, a craft level. Yeah. Um, and, and we've seen such good things from this show, even within season one, which I think most people agree is not its strongest season. No, yeah. But, like, you know, the fucking Bounty Hunter episode. Was good. Was so good and fun. Yeah. Even, even episode three, which we both hated, had such a good beat sheet with, like, clear thematic, like, yeah. you know, elements. That, exactly. There was definitely, like, moments and... But we know this show is capable of more. Why, on its most Im- arguably most important episode of the first season, have they decided to say "fuck it"? We know why. Anyway, Matt. and so in the Cadillac, Sam thanks Michael for rescuing him, um, and then they get like hear a beep, and they get a notification from Sam's OnStar, <laughs> which is another very 2007 moment. Uh-huh. Um, which, like, they definitely got paid for this. Oh, for sure. Kat, do you remember the period of time, and I guess 2007, where, like, OnStar was in everything? Mm-hmm. Like, there was a big marketing push of, like, let's have scenes with OnStar. Isn't there an episode of Veronica Mars with OnStar? There is. Featured? Almost certainly. Yeah, I believe there is. Yeah. At the same time. Um, and does, does OnStar still exist? I don't know. This is what I was wondering. I wish somebody would answer that first. I don't know. Does OnStar still exist? Because it... It seems, it seems like, crazy because, like, now we have, like, literal, like, tablets in, in Exactly. Bars. Yeah, like, there was... There's AAA. Yeah, there's there's AAA. Like, and AAA existed before. Yeah, but, like, I feel like OnStar was just, like, a more integrated version of AAA. Yeah. But now that we have, like, literal tablets. smart tablets in our cars, yeah, maybe it we just seems, went back to AAA. It seems like such a transition, like, transitional thing. Mm-hmm. Like, when I had a fucking Garmin GPS... That like mounted on my like windshield with like a sucker, but yeah. the sucker. Kept... My mom still has that. Christ, we... but the sucker kept falling off, and I had to lick my hand and then put like wipe it onto the fucking sucker. No, that's and then... disgusting. My mom and I uh, chose the Australian voice and called him Hugh for Hugh Jackman. 
That's very good. Uh huh. See, I would have. And I love that we both had the Garmin, specifically Garmin GPS. Yeah. Was there another kind? No. No. No, there was. There was. There was TomTom. No, there wasn't. There was Garmin. Uh, but yes. Anyway, so uh, on the OnStar, the OnStar says that their directions have been given to Michael Weston, and so I was like, oh, I guess I need to take this car. You are 112 miles from your destination. Yeah. And I do love... Oh, I, I forgot something. You forgot something? I forgot something very important. Do, do I need to edit it in as if we didn't forget it? Um, possibly. Um, back in the Carmelo scene, I forgot the most important thing about the Carmelo scene. Okay. Which is, like, he gets all this info from Carmelo. And, um, like, he's about to leave. And Carmelo, the, the second biggest heroin, heroin smuggler in Miami, is like, who are you? And then Michael Weston goes, I'm Michael Weston. I used to be a spy. And it's a legitimately a cool moment. But also, what's the point of that? Like, in universe? But in, or, yeah, in universe. It doesn't matter. It's cool and I like it. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, I feel like there's there's an episode on Buffy where like someone's like, who are you? It's like, haven't you heard? I'm Buffy the Vampire. It's like, or something like that. It's, it's just cool. I enjoy it. And like, he sells it. It works. Is this a dynamic shift where you are defending the episode and I'm like, that was kind of dumb. I don't know. That all sounds like weird jargon to me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so so the OnStar gives him directions I, and Sam's like, I, I guess re- I'll leave. I'll remember this now because like when he gets that info, Sam goes, is this burn notice? <laughs> also good. <laughs> no, I'm burn notice. I am burn notice. <laughs> burn notice and like he just says it like like um and michael's like yeah it's burn notice and so he's like can i borrow your car and and he says yeah and so michael drives for a 112 miles mm-hmm. uh, i feel like i don't know a lot about florida yeah I, I have no context for where florida is i mean i know it's shaped like a dick mm-hmm. uh but i'm assuming that this is like a highway maybe to the keys or something yeah i'm sure there's a lot of like coastal roads that have like because basically there's this like overpass over water entirely yeah it's like a very long overpass like i feel like he's like driving on the overpass for a while yeah it's like a long stretch of highway that is over over just water and i which is a very cool like place it's a good visual yeah it's a really good visual it's a really good really cool visual him just driving over but i think there is like a long one to the keys maybe i think Um, maybe i don't know uh, yeah, and he's driving along. We get these nice helicopter shots of the car going on this long highway over the water. And eventually he reaches his destination. And it's just in the middle of this bridge. In the middle of this fucking bridge, this, like, overpass thing. And there is a semi-truck there. With the back open and a ramp. Going up to it. Um, and then he gets another call from the mysterious woman. And she says, I forget exactly what she says, but she's like... Like, we're ready for you. Exactly. We come, can't wait to meet you. Yeah, come on in. And then he takes a deep breath. And he drives into that fucking uh, semi He trailer. penetrates the semi. He pe- penetrates the semi. Um, with a semi. With a semi. Um, I will say, I remember this from 2007. I like, I think this is legitimately a very cool cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, like, this image, like, seeing it again, be like, oh man. I remember at the time watching it thinking, like, this is, like, legit. Like, this is, this is a cool, like, hook. It is a cool hook. I wish I was as though, like, because I knew this was the final moments. Um, and I was like, 
I wish they'd used less cuts because there were so many. Uh, again, it's a it's a fucking burn notice episode, so there's like eighteen too many cuts per yeah. scene, and I was like. There's a really cool helicopter shot, and there's like one shot closer up yeah. that is valuable for when Michael, when we want to see Michael's face as he enters the yeah. car. But like, I would have rather stayed in one or the other because at that moment, like the sort of slow burn of like yeah. him deciding to like insert, you know, get yeah. into the car, like that's a big moment. Exactly. And, and I wish they'd let me process that instead of taking me through eight different action sequences of him driving the car up a fucking exactly. ramp. It's like, we didn't need this moment to be exciting. It's already exciting. I kind of, I get the impulse because I think all the helicopter shots are super pretty and they're like, we want to get, the, they got all this coverage and it looks good and you want to have like pretty shots in your Well, they show. also, in, in the, when the, when Nate's car explodes at the beginning of the episode, there's also like 18 shots yeah. because they, but that happens a lot in action shows where yeah. they're like, we had one practical of exploding a car uh, and we got it from 18 different angles. We're going to show you all the fucking angles. Oh, yeah. But, like, I do think this scene would have been better if we just stayed in that car. Like, personally. Because, um, like, to me... Like, I think we could have stayed in the car until we see Michael make the decision and, like, push drive. And then go out to this ultra-wide. And we see no, how small Michael and his car are. See, I kind of disagree. Because, to me, like, the thing that's, like, really, like emotionally compelling to me or like really is like going into the darkness like i think there's something really visceral about like staring into this dark trailer and then going up into it like literally going into the unknown and i think there's something like as cool as like the helicopter shot is like, then the car looks so tiny and it's just a thing going at a thing. It's like Hot Wheels. Sure, but I don't know. There's something nice about, like, the sort of scope of it. Like, this big season-long mystery. In the end, he just drives his car into a little space. I don't know. There's something nice about seeing the scope of, like, the water and all this stuff. And it's like, this is the moment we've been breaking to. And it's so small, but we know it has such significance. It could be. I don't know. I Again, the other way. I feel like I just want to, like, live in that thing. Cause, like, I mean, me, I totally get yeah. your perspective, too. I think this is just sort of a, a difference yeah. in, like, the oh, kinds totally. of filmmakers that we are. Oh, totally. Yeah. But Amateur do... filmmakers or otherwise. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I love the pretty shot. I feel like, I feel like, in actuality, if we were making this, like, I would be the one who'd be like, oh, I want this pretty shot. And you'd be the one to, like, no, the character beat. Well, but I, I did specify that I think we need character beat up until the decision is made. And then yeah. at that point, nothing else interesting is happening inside the car. So we might as well end on our ex- impressive shot. But I think what we can both agree on is that there were 18 too many shots. Oh, there. there was definitely too many shots. <laughs> but like, yeah, I do just something. Do, I don't know. There's just something so compelling to me. I remember years later mm-hmm. of just this shot of looking into the fucking trailer. I just wish the episode had earned what a cool final moment that was. Yeah. And it, it hasn't. No. Nope. I mean, like, I feel the season has a little bit. Like, because this is, this definitely feels more like the end of the season than the end of the episode. Sure. So I think, like. Unlike uh, the final boss, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, this, like, after all of this stuff that we've gone through, all this stupid bullshit, like, mm-hmm. at this point, it does feel. And again, I vividly remember watching this in, like, 2007 and being, like, wowed by it. I definitely think they earned it. Like, or felt like that at the time. <laughs> uh, and I well, still think they do now. Yeah, let's let's see how we feel. Uh, but yeah, first let's talk some spy tips. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, first spy tip: in any operation, communicating silently is essential. Chalk marks, an unusual arrangement of objects, anything that stands out from the background will do. 
And this is him when he and Nate are going to find Fiona, Fiona. in the warehouse district. Yeah, and they find, like, a, the cloth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do, I, we, do we find this practical? I think it's... I mean, the, he gives specific examples. And I actually think that this is something that feels like something I could do. Sure. And I like that. I think this one is actually kind of practical. I thought... Cool. This is one that I, like, were I in a situation, might remember. Right. I mean, I'm never going to be in a situation. If I'm in a situation, I'm dead. But, you know. <laughs> if I'm in I'm, any situation. I'm dead. Spy or otherwise, I'm dead. Exactly. If anyone does anything. If somebody looks at me, I'm dead. I'm t- <laughs> Don't put me in a situation. <laughs> Don't put me in a corner. I will die. Exactly. Nobody puts Cherry in a corner. Uh, a warehouse door is going to be re- is going to be reinforced, but the walls aren't, and the areas under the windows don't have load bearing beams. So- that also feels kind of practical. Like it, we made fun of the tip broadly at the beginning of this episode yeah. about like, man, all these fucking walls are just paper. Yeah. But like it does. Like when he mentioned underneath windows is going to be the weakest, I was like, that's a yeah. fucking good point that I would not have considered. Exactly. No, I'll give him this one too. All right. Yeah. There were a lot of spy tips just in the cold open this episode. Yeah, there's a lot of... I think, like, I think Matt Nix, more than anyone else, loves the spy tips. And that is the only thing that forgives Matt Nix for all his sins. Uh, Number three. A good trap doesn't scare people. It makes them curious. A speeding trap makes people scatter, but a slow-moving one makes them uh, want to take a closer look. I somewhat doubt the latter part of this advice, but again, that makes sense. Yeah. Like a good, a good trap draws people in mm-hmm. rather than like, mm-hmm. yeah. Move. Cause like what you really want is people all in one place. Exactly. Concentrated. So it's easier to take them out. A good trap has some cheese. Or a big red truck moving slowly. Exactly. That's the cheese of the trap. In spy talk, we call the thing that gets them closer, the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we agree that's another good one? Yeah. Well, we like that one. I'll take Yeah. Yeah. Um, four, for any operative, stashing weapons is second nature after a while. Doesn't this one continue where it's like, if you don't know where you're going to, like... like it, it goes on a little bit, but not, there's nothing, like, specific about well, it. Well, no, there is something specific in that he says, like, you never want to have all of your shit in one place. Because I don't think, if something goes bad... Like, he does say No, it. I don't think he says that. He just says... If something goes bad, you want to have guns, but he doesn't make a point about you want all, you don't want to have your guns all, all in one place. Well, I think that's the implication of like you want to stash weapons, and if you don't know where you're going to be, you're going to want more than one location where weapons are. He also compares spies to squirrels, and squirrels don't put uh, nuts all in one place because you can't fit them. That's true. <laughs> uh, I don't think this is a thing. I feel like that makes sense because it's sort of like the in your house like the when he talks about home turf advantage and in in contextually it's because home turf advantage means he knows where all his guns are stashed because he doesn't know where he's going to get attacked within his house but he knows like he is within reach of a gun at all times that's like that but on a citywide level I see I don't I didn't get that from this tip I, I, I don't remember the bit where, like, the idea of being that you want guns close to you or something. It's more just like... Well, he didn't say close to you. I think, like, the implication was meant to be he can't go back to the loft, which yeah. we know from the end of last episode. And they're definitely staking out all of their usual haunts. Yeah. So uh, Fiona has to go around and find all of her other stashes of guns that she has hidden for this express purpose, which is if you can't go home, you still need access to guns. So stash them somewhere else. Uh, I don't know, Maybe. I feel like it's a good tip. I don't know if it's specific enough and obvious. Like, cause I, this seems sort of obvious to me. Like, yeah, hey, don't, don't, yeah. don't put all your guns in one basket. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say if this, if the spy tips are on like a teetering, like if there's like four, 
for whatever reason, I will argue harder for this. But if we achieve like if minimum achieve, necessary spy tips, then, then I will let it go. All right, we'll, we'll we'll revisit it. Yeah, we'll revisit that. We'll keep a finger on that one. Um, number five, choosing a cover ID on the fly is always a challenge. When there's no time to think, it's best to come up with something simple that keeps your options open. That's nothing. nothing. He he has given some version of that advice like every other episode. Exactly, it's nothing. Um, Freon is available at most computer stores. Buy a can of screen duster, turn it upside down, and you've got it in liquid form. It's cold enough to freeze most commercial locks, and a hammer can take care of the rest. That's definitely useful. That I'm wondering if it's true. We we should do like a Mythbusters episode where, to the extent that we can, we follow the like uh, you know material specific spy tips and see if we can like actually follow them. Oh, it sounds like a good way to hurt ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you're in LA, you'll you'll theoretically have more like outdoor space. That's so true. maybe I'll come visit you, and we'll do like a, a MythBusters burn notice like, special. Special. Oh uh, yeah, sure, I'm into it. Um, seven. When you've worked with someone long enough, you don't need a secret code because every picture and memory is a code. That's like very romantic. It's very romantic, and I feel like it's also not true because we couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> well, I think we busted that myth right here. I could give you a simple message. The simple message being like, so you know how? Do you know who Marina Joyce is? No. <laughs> so she's a YouTuber who, like, two years ago, if, if the simple is... message relies on me knowing who Marina Joyce is, we've already lost. I'm just giving you an example that is top of mind because something else. But now in the recently. future, if you're like. Hey, you know how your favorite YouTuber is Marina Joyce? Then I'll be like, oh, something's amiss. Well, this is kind of what I'm saying. So, um, like, two or three years ago, people started, like, conspiracy theorying that she was being held against her will because in some of her vlogs, it appeared that she had, like, strange bruise patterns and was acting more, like, erratic Uh than normal. And there were more cuts and stuff. And it looked like she was constantly looking off camera. Uh And so people were like, somebody is, like, keeping her against her will and forcing her to make YouTube videos. And this was, like, a whole thing. And it got to the point where, like, the uh, Health and Human Services, like, went to her house to, like, check up on her because the entire internet was convinced something horrible happened to her. And, like, she looked, like, too thin or something. And they were like, no, she's fine. And so, like, it took, a, like, a month or two, but things eventually calmed down. Recently, she went, quote, unquote, missing for, like, 10 days. Oh, my God. Uh, but then they were like, no, she's just been with her, her boyfriend the whole time. But, like, throughout this 10 days, people, like, who the the internet is like, no, they're bad for her, have been like, she's fine. The same way that, like, the, the wife of the Scientology... Uh, owner is definitely alive. Yeah. Uh, it's like that sort of a situation yeah. where people are like, we don't trust you. You're like bad influences on her. Yeah. Anyways, point being, I think that I could come up with some version of Brie is acting strangely. So like if I had to act like every, like if you didn't know I was kidnapped, but I needed to communicate to you that something was wrong, I think I could do that. Okay. But like anything more specific than that, if you already knew my circumstances, yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to get to you. Yeah, I I don't know either. Like certainly the thing that they do in this episode. Like if I if I was too nice, to, like if I didn't flip you off in a picture, you would know something is wrong. Yeah. Like that's the first thing that I thought of. Yeah. Like if I had to give Chris a hand gesture to let him know something was up, I wouldn't flip him off. <laughs> All this is to say, we are close enough that I knew that much. But fair enough, yeah, we're definitely not close enough to have had such an intricate clue. Yeah. That I would try like have we played code names together on the same team? Were we good at being on the same team? I don't remember. I don't either. Because that would be the true test. Yes. Uh, Quinn and I are great at that game. Uh, 
God, I don't know if we played Code Names together. We have played together. I know you together, but I, like, I don't know if you played on the same team. Yeah. This is a very long conversation. Yeah. Uh, all which to say, yeah, I don't think this is a practical tip. I don't think it is. It's either. just an observation. Yeah. And a romantic one at that. Maybe Ex- they are boyfriends. Maybe. Uh, number eight. It's number eight. Eight, eight. <laughs> Our eight, favorite eight, spy eight, tip eight, of every eight. episode for absolutely no reason. Sir. <laughs> uh, so- Surveillance is a two-way street. If someone is looking for you, you have the advantage. They go where they think you are. I did not. Yeah, I don't think that's anything. That's that's nothing. I feel like anytime there's a tip that kind of says something along the lines of surveillance is a two-way street, that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, number nine. uh, People who drive around... People who drive armored cars expect gunfire. No shit, Michael Weston. Yes. That is, like, as close to a tautology as you can get in a spy tip. Uh, number 10, in a hostage situation, you have to make them think you can walk away or they're going to have leverage over you. That feels just like an obvious negotiation tactic. Yeah. Like, not even hostage-specific. Exactly. But I mean, like... I do that in job ha- contract negotiations. But I think it's also, like, maybe it's harder to look like you can walk away. But he didn't give me any practical advice for how to make it look like yeah. I could walk away. This is true. Uh, I mean, like, he, like, that was in the acting, but it was, nothing was there. It's nothing. Uh, number 11, when you can't win a fight, sometimes the only option is to make sure that if you lose, everyone loses. This is a good advice. It's badly used in the episode, but, like, theoretically, if this yeah. was detached from the episode, that makes sense. Yeah, I, like, I Like, def- if I can't have her, no one can, sort yeah. of a situation. I definitely could see something to that. Yeah. You could make that one a thing. Uh, it's definitely like a compelling story idea yeah. that they didn't use. But yeah, like, if, uh, if only they had done something more interesting with it. Um, when making a homemade sticky bomb, tile adhesive works best. I mean, I guess it's valuable to know what kind of adhesive spies use. Exactly, That's yeah. valuable to me. And like, because it's, it's waterproof and like, mm-hmm. yeah. No, like he gives a lot of details into why tile adhesive is good, so I'll give it that. Whether uh, or not you're using it for a homemade sticky bomb is sort of irrelevant. Exactly, yeah. Part of the tip is just, I just like... I, now I know the good sticky. Yeah. Part of the tip is just kind of explaining what sticky bombs are, but also not. Like, he just says that sticky bombs were invented in, like, World War II to put on, like, like tank well, submarines or whatever. As always, when explosives are being discussed in the spy tips, they have to remain vague. Well, I know, but it was the thing of, like, he doesn't even explain that, like, a sticky bomb is a bomb that you stick to something. Which, I mean, that's kind of... I was going to say, I would hope that's obvious. Yeah, but, like, still, it was like... I don't know. I feel like there's a beat missing, but still, it's a decent tip. Uh, number 13, a commando isn't a superhero. He's just someone who has been trained to fight in a situation where there are more bad guys than good guys, and surprise is the only option. That's nothing. That's, I mean, it was interesting, like, to hear... That's a dictionary definition. Yeah, sure. It was interesting to hear, like, what a commando is in reality versus what, like, the popular media perception of a commando is, because I think he's right in that when we think commando, we think, like, this person can do anything. But his, his point is, like, commandos are trained for a very specific kind of fighting, and that's all that they are. I thought commandos I, were someone who weren't wearing underwear. <laughs> I mean, it can mean two things at once. Yeah. That word can mean two things. Exactly. Um, but yeah, my, like, I, I thought it was an interesting point and I liked it. Whether or not it's true is irrelevant, yeah. uh, but it certainly is not practical. No. Uh, and then 14, this definitely isn't practical. This no. is just the closing monologue of the episode. But mm-hmm. well, it he says it in voiceover, so we count it. Uh, when you work in intelligence, it all comes down to putting your ass on the line to learn something. Yeah. I mean, that, That's nothing. But yeah, but we definitely have over five. All right, well, let's 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 get to that in a second. All right, 
final section of the episode. How do we feel about it? How do we rate it? So, definitely not a great episode of television. No, it's not. I'm sorry. Like, it's a pretty good season finale if you only look at it, like, squinting. Yeah. You know? Like, if you genuinely aren't thinking about it, like, at all, mm-hmm. it would be exciting because, like, it it's good at faking. Like, mm-hmm. stakes are getting higher and it's getting more tense and, like, things mm-hmm. are getting more exciting. But if you actually, like, sit down and, you know, have to watch it yeah. for a podcast where you're going to dissect it, it yeah. becomes very, very clear that, like, you know, the details are very fuzzy. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of, like, repeat nonsense. But, yeah. But if you don't think about it at all, you probably get mad at our podcast. <laughs> Uh, so it is an episode of an ep- uh, it is an episode of television. <laughs> it is an episode of an episode of an episode. Yeah, it's an episode of a television. <laughs> yeah, it is an episode of television. Nothing more, maybe something less. But is it a great episode of Burn Notice? Well, let's decide. Uh, so the first of the four things that uh, theoretically it needs to be a great Burn Notice episode is one: Does he solve the weekly case with spycraft over violence? <laughs> Barely. I'm- yeah, they make a like. He, they make a sexy bomb. They well, they make lots of bombs. They make so many bombs. And is like, is that considered violence? Because they are technically making the bombs. I don't. That's a good question, yeah. actually. Because bombs are the intersection of spycraft and violence. Yeah, it's true. Because like, they got to be brainy to build them. Yeah. But brawny to place them. <laughs> that's that's where the brawn really comes in <laughs> in the placing of them. You gotta lift them because they're so heavy. And sometimes you gotta reach up. Mm-hmm. Um, um, or so you gotta hold that dead man switch. I am terrified of the concept of a dead man switch. I, I, hope, I love it. I mean, it's a great narrative plot. It's a great narrative, like, idea. Yeah. But, like, I'm... It's sort of like the John Mulaney bit about, like, quicksand. <laughs> where, like, seeing a dead man switch... I'm so terrified of a dead man switch, of someone giving me a dead man switch, because I'm so afraid I'm accidentally going to take my finger off it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to, like, sneeze or something, or drop it, and then we're dead. No one should ever give me a dead man switch. Ever. <laughs> I would definitely mess it up. I, I feel the same way, also, about hanging on a ledge. Like, if I'm hanging on a ledge, I'm dead, because I can't hang very long. Yeah, and my I do not have the upper body strength for no, that. No, exactly. I used to. Historically, I can't hang. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so do how do we consider this to be a spycraft over violence episode? Oh, I mean, it's certainly not a cop show ending. Like no. a cop show, because like the reason that we have this tenant is that we're trying to differentiate it from other crime procedurals. Yeah. Uh, and at the point at which he like holds a gun to his own head and is like, "I'll do it." Yeah. Like, leave me alone. I think there's spy type stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I think spy things happen. Yeah, enough spy things happen that we'll give it to him, but you're skating on thin ice. Yeah. Uh, Number two, uh, are there at least five practical uh, spy tips in the spy voiceover? Yes. Yes, there are actually, I think, six and one uh, one that I would fight for. Yeah, there's six and a half. Yeah. So, well done. Uh, Does he debut or revisit a distinct alias? No. He does not. Very disappointing. Uh, although he does have sort of an anti-alias moment that yeah. Chris apparently really likes where he's like, I'm Michael Weston. I used to be a spy. It's very good. It's the thing that he says in the opening. I am a sucker for that. I am a sucker for any time they like say the thing. Especially like the thing in the opening credits or whatever like that. I'm... That's the title of the show. Yeah. No, I'm always a sucker for that. Every time. There's that bit in Veronica Mars where she says like, we used to be friends a long time ago. I eat that shit up. That's so interesting. That's not something I would expect about you. No, I love it. I guess everyone's got something. Uh, all right. And so finally, are the side characters used well? Uh, Fiona gets to blow 
a lot of things she up. She does get to blow and up. And gets to be horny about violence. Exactly. Fee has a lot of good moments. Like, yeah. not best moments mm. of, like, this is certainly not, like, the best Fiona episode of the season. No. But, like, she gets her part. Yeah, no, she does. She blows She her. gets hers. She bites that fucking plastic. Oh, yeah, that's true. She does have sex in this episode. Exactly. As we have definitively <laughs> defined it. Yes. Uh, and then I think Sam gets to be peak Sam. He gets to be like a little shade-eating grin. Exactly. Like, Kill me, I'm Bruce Campbell. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, um, so three out of four, officially, the season one finale of Burn Notice is a great, a great episode, episode of Burn Notice. How about that? How about that? Uh, do we feel confident in that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with that, yeah. How do we feel about this season of Burn Notice? I... So this has been an interesting experience for me. Uh, this is the only show that I've ever watched explicitly to make a podcast about. This is true. And so that, at having watched this season, like, within the past few months prior to wanting to make a podcast about it, I did, like, genuinely enjoy it less. Which is what, the like, sort of nature wait, wait. of the beast. W- watching it for the podcast, you liked it less. Yeah. As opposed to when you watched I, it. Just yeah, before. I liked it less watching it for the podcast because I had to actually think about, like, what was happening versus, yeah. like, sort of just speeding through it. And not really thinking critically about it. Uh-huh. So that has been an interesting experience. But on the flip side, I also appreciate moments of it a lot more concretely. Mm-hmm. Because we got to discuss at length, like, this was a really good moment for these reasons. Yeah. So, like, it's complicated for me. Because I remember liking this first season of Burn Notice, like, no more or less than any other seasons of Burn Notice. Yeah. Which, all of which I have enjoyed so uh-huh. far. Um, but, like, rewatching it this way and knowing what's to come... Uh, it's definitely a weak season. Yeah. I, th- I think... Some high I, highs, but a lot, a lot of low lows. lows. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gonna get down there. Low lows. Were there any yogurts in this episode? I don't think so. Did anyone even think, mention yogurt? No one even mentioned yogurt. Not at all. I wonder if yogurt is not Matt Nix's thing. What if someone No, else it is, because Matt Nix brings it up enough times, and it becomes such a thing that it's like the pineapple and psych. Yeah. That, like, that's definitely a Matt Nix handed down okay. thing. Okay, cool. Maybe it is. Because he's the one that debuts it in the pilot. Yeah. Uh, is it in the pilot or something? Yeah, remember, because in, in the pilot, he's at, he's at the priest from Sykes' house, poking around, and he's like... Oh, it's... Okay, yeah, I remember that. You, you know that moment. Yeah, I know. For some reason, I was thinking that the yogurt thing was episode two. But, um, no, it's Daddy yeah. Nix's. I, I was... I'm realizing now that I watch every television show like I'm going to do a podcast about it. I mean, I, I do more so than probably most people, just because, like, this is the industry we're in. Yeah. Um, but I don't, especially when I'm, like, binging something that I have nostalgia for. True. I'm, uh, uh, I'm certainly not as critical as I am of this. I mean, that's probably true. I think, yeah, if you're trying to, like, Chase like, a nostalgic high. Of, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I'm for this podcast, I'm specifically like taking notes of like, I'm gonna make fun of this stupid moment. Yeah. Versus if I'm watching it like passively, I'm just like, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah. Or I'll just like skip it. Like there's some episodes of this season that I'm like, yeah, I definitely skipped this the last time I watched the <laughs> show because I didn't care. I don't know. I because I'm trying to think how often I rewatch things. Um, I do it less than I used to. Hmm. Um. But now, like, I feel like nowadays, specifically when I rewatch things, I rewatch things because I am showing them to someone else. Um, because that's the only way to see it with fresh eyes. Um, but so I'm trying to think about, like, how much... I'm, I'm rewatching Doctor Who right now because I do that, like, forever. Like, every once in a while. But I've actually been rewatching it, like, specifically in a criti- critically minded sort of way. So, like... Um, so how do you feel about this first season of Burn Notice? It's not bad. I think... 
Um, Did you enjoy it more than you expected to? Because it's been a lot longer since you have seen this show. I actually feel like I enjoyed it less than I expected to. Interesting. Well, no, because I remember liking Burn Notice. I remember Burn Notice being a better show than it was this go-through, because I think I watched it when I was younger and had less critical faculties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, yeah, I think... Yeah, and then I remember watching the season and being like, oh, man, like, this show is not as good as I remember. Has that experience made you less interested in continuing this podcast? Um, no, not necessarily, because I think... I'm pretty sure it gets better. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely does. It gets better, and I want to watch it get better. Mm-hmm. Um... And also just in a very kind of, like, non, like, selfish and, like, non-related to anything else way. Like, especially since I am moving away. Like, this is an excuse to keep regularly, like, recording things with you and talking to you. Like, so I think that's probably the main reason why I would want to continue doing the podcast. You'll suffer through burn notice for me? Uh, yeah. Babe. (laughs) (laughs) But what I was wondering, like, but I don't think, I don't think it's a great season of television. No, it's definitely not. Uh, is it a great season of Burn Notice, though? I mean, it's, I don't think so. I don't... I, on, a, on a season level, I'm less willing to give it that. Like, I'm, I would go to bat for individual episodes and have yeah. um, to a greater extent than you have this season. But as a season, I will not... I, that's not a hill I'm going to die on, but no. it was a good season of Burn Notice. Yeah, I don't think they're, or a great like, season of Burn Notice. Like, yeah, I, I don't think they've quite... Fully figured out mm-hmm. the thing that makes the show fun yet. Yeah. Like, there are moments of it, and certain writers definitely have a better handle on what makes the show special yeah. than other ones. <clears throat> Matt Nix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think that they fully solidified, like, what goes on in between all of the structure that they've added. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely agree. Uh, but yeah, so that's been the first season of Burn Notice. And the first season of Burn Noticed. Mm-hmm. And remember, we're going on a bit of a break. Uh, oh, we didn't decide when we're back. We're going on a bit of a break. We'll let you know, like, when this episode comes out, like, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. about, um, And maybe, like, in the description of, like, when we'll be back. That's mm-hmm. kind of vague right now. Again, I am moving across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and we recorded this several months ago. Exactly. So, uh, who knows? I could be dead. Yeah, he probably is. Probably. Uh, uh, but I will reanimate some version of his consciousness to be on season two of Burn Noticed. Yes. Uh, but yeah, just follow us on Twitter at Burn Noticed Pod. Uh, we will be on there. And also, please uh, remember that we'll, we're going to try to do at least one or two sort of bonus, like lower impact episodes in between seasons. So if you have a fun idea that you'd like us to do that makes sense to do like in the off season, yeah. uh, let us know. We'd be happy to hear your suggestions. Um, again, we are not accepting criticism at this time or ever so do not send it our way all right i'll still bitch about it at the beginning of every episode if i see it but don't do it exactly and and as always jeffrey donovan like get at us (laughs) yeah i feel like we got like you know what here's something that i will say so i went in like i'm sorry wicked pissa but i went into this podcast thinking that most of what i was going to be doing is making fun of your acting because let's be real you are the least good actor on this show I love how we're saying this directly to Mr. Wicked Pissa. <laughs> Mr. Wicked Pissa, JD. Um, but, like, yeah, I, like, I, because I liked this show when it, well, whenever I watched it originally. And, yeah. and in the period since that I, like, rewatched at least portions of it. Uh, and I have always found Jeffrey Donovan to be, like, a largely nothing man. Yeah. A uh, bathroom wall sign of a man, yes. as I think you put it. Yes. Um, 
But I actually found myself genuinely impressed with him more often than I thought. Agreed. I liked the show less, and I liked him more than I, I expected. I, no, I, I agree, definitely. Especially, I thought he was great in this last episode. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, he like he has to sell this episode more than most episodes, and he does. Like, I think, that, especially, like, that last scene at the end where he takes a deep breath and he goes in, like, he fucking sells the shit out of that. He sells the shit out of the scene where he's gonna shoot himself in the head, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think maybe I was unfair to him. Like, having not seen him in other shows, it's hard to say, but I also think that it's probably fair that um, <laughs> the, like, show Bible of Burn Notice, as we have come to understand it, and, like, the different director choices within it might be more to blame for Jeffrey Donovan's performance lacking sometimes than Jeffrey Donovan himself. And I just want to say, I'm sorry, Jeffrey Donovan, for doubting you. Yeah, no, I definitely think he's better than we give him credit for on this show. On the other hand, you put him next to Richard Schiff and he feels like nothing. Well, but, right. But, but, like, that's, but not, so that's not a Jeffrey Donovan problem. That's just a, like, most actors problem. Yes. Um... But yeah, uh, no, but actually, like, I'm giving him a lot of shit and have given him a lot of shit. But no, like, he, like, anchors this show. Mm-hmm. Um, In a way that I don't think we gave him credit for. No, yeah, I agree. So. And we're not just saying that because we want you to come on our please podcast. Please come on our podcast. Mr. Donovan. Mr. Donovan, I might be living in the Colorado in the next, like, year or two. Daddy Donovan. Daddy Donovan, if I come to Colorado, will you please be on my podcast? Daddy Donovan, can you be on our podcast? Daddy Donovan. Daddy Donovan. You can email us, you can email us at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com. That's a D. We put the D in burn notice. Daddy. 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 Did you know that Vincent E.L. did our theme music? Uh, listen to more music at vincentel.bandcap.com. Daddy, Daddy. Daddy. Daddy, can you listen- hear me? <laughs> listen, listen to Vince's Bandcamp Daddy. <laughs> oh, Daddy, Daddy Donovan. Bye, Daddy. I hate what we've created. <laughs> <laughs>